the big thing that we will see with mega projects is the commitment to engagement. I think uh, one of the things I've heard recently is that contracting is so important, which it is. Welcome to another episode of CI for Life. I am Rick Hyland with RLG International. Our purpose is to provide current and future C-suite leaders the mindset, skill set, and tool set to become leaders of continuous performance improvement. Today's topic is mega capital projects, the challenges, issues, and solutions. Over the next few weeks, we'll be having industry experts join me on the podcast to break down the challenges and solutions for mega capital projects. Today's special guest is Brad Farrell, President and CEO of RLG International. Brad, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Great, Rick. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited about joining you. This is a very current and timely topic. I know in our world, we've got um, capital projects uh, globally, uh, many in North America, Southeast Asia, and I just returned from a mega project in uh, Kazakhstan. Uh, there's over 20,000 people on site. It's a big piece of work. So this is a timely topic. I'll be interested in, um, in working through this with you. Yeah, thank you very much again for joining us. A little bit of background about Brad for our listeners. Uh, Brad has led performance improvement implementations with RLG domestically and internationally since 1985. He actually, he launched our RLG's first international office in the UK in 1995. And in that same year was responsible for the penetration of growth of our uh, in European business unit and much later the Russian market. And today he leads our worldwide portfolio of performance improvement projects. He's also the author of RLG's Theoretical Maximum Performance Process that has helped RLG as uh, become the consultant of choice for many capital projects. Brad, anything else from your background that you uh, want to share with the listeners before we get going? Well, um, only that we're, um, we're quite a diverse company. We're, we've got uh, people uh, from around the world speaking multiple languages, carrying many passports, and uh, our work is, uh, we're fortunate, our work takes us uh, globally to some really exciting exciting and interesting places and and we're quite privileged to be working with some great partners and clients out there on these major projects yeah well said and brad as you know just to tee off this topic of mega capital projects i was in shanghai recently with our executive advisory council uh, ate visser and gary savage and uh, at that worldwide lng conference in shanghai there was two particular announcements at the, that was very interesting on this topic the first one has to do with the massive growth for the lng industry it was announced that in 2019, there will be up to 12 to 15 projects potentially go to financial investment decision around the world, and most of those, interestingly enough, in North America. And the LNG and the chemical industry, because of the shale revolution and the growing Asian economies, are in a massive boom cycle. And that level of expansion means a lot for mega projects, uh, kind of over the 1 billion to 20 billion range, and some of them even larger than that. And the second announcement that was very interesting was a speech from a well-known worldwide EPC chairman. And he said only two of the 40 LNG projects that have been started or completed have been on time and on budget. And most of them have been significantly over budget and over schedule. And that supports another McKinsey study that was done in late 2017 and I quote from the study, on average, projects with budgets above $1 billion, commonly referred as mega projects in the industry, are delivered one year behind schedule and run 30% over budget. If this trend continues, the article goes on to say, 
uh, US dollar 5 trillion in value will be destroyed in these projects currently announced around the world. So big issue, big opportunity. And Brad, if we could uh, get going on this topic, what, what do you see, what are your views on why we're struggling with these mega capital projects? Well, that's a big question, Rick. It's a great question. And I, I think there's, there's multiple reasons, but um, we can focus in on three. Uh, I, I think one of the obvious ones as we look um, through the 80s and 90s and uh, into the um, 2000s, um, we saw lots of capital projects um, and the talent and manpower that were going there um, as we grew through them. That manpower um, actually shrank. And um, we see the demographics that we're now facing with where we've got a lot of the talent that was in the industry has left. Um, the, the gray hair has, uh, has disappeared. Uh, the, the availability of experienced talent on sites has shrunk um, at the same time as we see um, the, the technology that's required of our contractors has uh, gone up. So contractor readiness and capability is a question. Now, we've got some really good EPCs out there, yep. uh, but they're faced with these realities that uh, their workforces are new and the technology is challenging, and um, they've lost a lot of talent. So that's one. Okay. Um, the, the second one we see is that the, um, the, the pace and the demand, it's cyclical, and obviously we're heading into one here. And so everybody wants it sooner. It's competitive. Um, investment decisions have been put off over the last 10 years, and then all of a sudden – switches turned and so the demand um, to shareholders out there for the and for returns and it has increased so uh, the pressure being put on the contractors and internally um, with the owners of these these projects has increased so velocity and speed can we uh, come up with um, new ways of doing things creative solutions um, these are the questions that are being put onto the workforce and the and the challenges so without them of course increased speed uh, opens the door for issues of rework um, uh, problems that weren't foreseen and, and challenges there. So that's the second one. Um, the, the third space, and you touched on it, these are big projects, uh, size and complexity. And um, it can be overwhelming. I think that uh, quite often uh, we're looking at projects of scope and scale that haven't been uh, tackled before. Uh, the assumption is that we've got the talent, which we do, and the technology, which we do. Uh, the challenge, of course, is putting all those together for the first time. Um, I'd add to that, um, that complexity is increased by the recognition of the stakeholders who need to be involved and uh, the regulatory demands and issues um, that are important and have to be followed. Those are new as well. They're on top of the complexity of the project itself and um, stakeholders um, uh, from local populations to those that are concerned about the environmental issues, uh, the political uh, ramifications of all those, they have to be taken into account as well. So those yeah. are, there's lots of reasons yeah. uh, they're getting in the way of uh, on-time delivery of projects. So contractor readiness and capability, the pace, speed of how you know, everybody wants to be first to market, and then as you've said, the size and complexity is just uh, mind-boggling and all the stakeholders involved, in, including governments, etc. So okay, uh, that's not the uh, uh, hard part to pinpoint the problem. So let's dive in here on this podcast and start talking about some of the solutions. And we will have a series of pod, other podcasts with you and other industry executives to talk about the solutions. And the whole industry is talking about how to de-risk their engineering and construction. So, Brad, how would you start to frame some of the solutions? Okay, well, um, there's a myriad of places that we can 
can work from. Uh, the first one probably hasn't changed in uh, thousands of years, strong project leadership. And, and um, there is strong leadership out there and experience that can drive these projects. Um, I think we have to continue to look for developing leadership earlier um, within uh, organizations to make sure that the, the complexity that we're facing today, uh, it's, it's, a, um, it's, a long, it's a long road to build all the skills that you need and to build the project team. But that's something that organizations have to invest in. And we're, I think we're a little bit behind the ball in that. Um, the cutbacks over the last uh, say 10 years ago uh, are affecting us today in that space. Um, that's one. Uh, a space that, a solution that I see, and we see it on some projects, but not all, um, a lot of uh, understanding that this is a problem, but, but not um, yet solutions, is this contractor partnering. And um, the, the, the recognition that if your contractors aren't on board, if this isn't a win-win for everybody, you, there's a problem, is, it's you know, well, well understood. How do you make that work? That's a big challenge. And I'll, I'll tell you, there's an awful lot of commitment to this contractor partnership and um, the challenge being to put it into play. And, and that is a big space. I'll tell you, that might be the number one reason uh, right. and opportunity uh, for performance improvement on mega projects. Um, I, I'd say a, another space, and we're seeing more and more uh, technology get in to help this, and that's the management of uh, complex KPIs on project sites. And uh, there's um, technology that can help with this. Um, ideally, though, that what we'll see is more time put up front to identify what are the critical KPIs that have to run through the project, uh, some that are unique to spaces and some that are consistent uh, across um, multiple um, contractors and stakeholders. I'd say a, a fourth space is um, something that we call operating rhythm, and that's the, the pace and the um, consistency and the quality of conversations at all levels in the organization to make sure that everybody, whether they're on the front line or in the engineering office or in the EPC office, knows where we are on any one day at any one time. And that is a great challenge. I told you I was out on a site with 20,000 people, mm -hmm. and that organization had to take a unique approach to how to engage um, all of the stakeholders, and that means those frontline contractors right up through to the suppliers and service and uh, engineering sides of the of the team to um, make sure they're all on the same page. And that operating rhythm is is a big piece. It's new. There's a recognition that uh, you can't just have one person who has all the answers. You, you need an, an operating rhythm which insured, ins ensures that the conversations, the right conversations with the right data are going on at the right time. And then uh, finally, um, and, and this, this <laughs> we see it on all, all projects, the strength of that frontline team. Uh, how engaged are they? And are they being asked to actually lean in to optimization? We, we talked about earlier the complexity of the projects. And what that really drives is that we're going to see issues and challenges and opportunities that we haven't seen before. Um, that means problem solving on site uh, with teams in real time and engaging that front line in optimization is one of the, the big levers to delivery of a good project with good plans on time. So there's five for you, Rick. Yeah, very good. I, I want to underline a couple of those points and then ask you to expand on a couple of them. But yeah, I just was talking to a 35-year uh, project experienced individual from a global company and they were telling the story which we have found uh, to be absolutely true. In the old days, 
you could get away with somebody at the leading these projects that had the project experience and expertise that had some technical insight and but they really ran the projects many years ago with a command and control and and um, really um, not as communicative and so today we're finding that strong leadership a great communicator a great collaborator a great person that listens and open and is decisive and can build trust with their contractor partnerships is so vital uh, and as you said is even as important or more important today because of the size and complexity of these projects so uh, anyhow, Brad, we will talk about all five of those on future uh, and have uh, future podcasts and have leaders that have practiced some of these principles uh, in their own mega projects. But I'd really love if you could take a minute and expand on number four and five around the operating rhythm and uh, schedule optimization, because um, those are two near and dear to your heart and our heart. Uh, so let's start with optimization. The issue of contractor productivity in turnarounds and capital projects is timely and huge everybody's trying to optimize the schedule to improve frontline productivity and brad do you could you think of a specific example or share with us a specific example of this optimization for improving schedule and frontline productivity sure um you know i start from the assumption that um there are good plans in place and there's a a, a great process for ensuring that we have the right plan for these large projects um, and that is true. I think that, that we start off with the best we can have and um, in terms of background and information and research and data, and then we put together a great plan. Now, there are areas, and there's a lot of areas in which we can work on um, how, do we, how do we plan better. But once we get uh, to scope being locked down, um, there's an opportunity just to turn our attention to how do we optimize. And this is taking what we now know um, is the experience from the front line that can be used to leverage, to look at a good plan and say, how can we make it better? How can we anticipate uh, the challenges or the hurdles that might come up in a really good plan? And the place to ask that question is on the front line. So um, we've led uh, with clients who are committed to and recognize the strength of challenging a great plan from a front line perspective. And that means the people that are on the tools. Um, when when a, a client says, that's part of our improvement program is to, to op be open to the challenge from the front line on our execution strategy. Um, when we do that, we, see, uh, we can see step change. So I'll give you one example. Uh, Gulf of Mexico capital project, um, we were able to break down work packs into anywhere from 1 to 10,000, 1,000 to 10,000 man hours, and then take each of those and look for the critical path and then go back out to the front line. Now, when you engage the front line, it takes time. Um, you may have to bring them in before they actually uh, would have been usually showed up on site. So there's an investment in this. But bring them in and let them challenge what is on paper and what is in the plan to be executed you know, what might be two, three, four weeks or even months ahead. And we see a different set of eyes coming in. And, and um, when they do that, they will automatically identify uh, questions that they need answered, opportunities, uh, suggestions, things they've seen in their uh, dozens of years of experience where uh, a line item has gone wrong. So I'd call that the type of rigorous um, attention to detail that can only be had by opening up the plans in advance to that front line. So that Gulf of Mexico example mm -hmm. um, is pretty simple. On the piece that we looked at, um, we did we had 27 
of these types of optimization sessions. It would involve anywhere from 20 to 40 people at a time in each one of those, and anywhere, as I said, from a week to three months in advance of when the work was to be done. Out of those sessions would come literally hundreds of questions that the workforce wanted answered. And from that, probably dozens of actions that could be taken that would help make sure that when they showed up on site, uh, the project was ready, the, the tools were ready, they were ready. And the net impact of that was that this team was able to take uh, more than 20% off the delivery time. This was a step change performance from what had been budgeted, the business plan, to the actual delivery. Um, the work, the optimization work, uh, started well in advance. Uh, we probably had these teams start, as I said, some of them started five months prior to the actual start of the project. So um, advanced planning, um, critical review, engagement of that front line, um, it's an investment, and it, but it can have a huge return. Oh, well said. Connecting the front line to the bottom line. Great example. That's that's the line, Rick. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, and what about an example of a strong operating rhythm to the, drive this stakeholder alignment with all the complexity and size? Uh, have you got a specific example you can share with us there? Yeah. Um, you know, in a mega project, you've got dozens, uh, perhaps hundreds of different contractors that are showing up to deliver one plan. And the big challenge for most operators is how do I bring all of these people together? How can I... You know, they've got, each has unique skills. They've got uh, practices that are theirs that they own. We don't want to interfere with how they do their work. We're paying for the, for the best um, to, to show up on site and do their job. Uh, I think, though, that one of the challenges is the interfaces that go on in mega projects. these interfaces between various parties. And it's incumbent on the leadership to step back and say um, they need to provide a single language um, a single dialogue and conversation point for all of those contractors so that the interfaces and the, and the challenges that come up with interfaces as you hand off from one to another um, are managed uh, better and, if not seamlessly, at least um, quicker with more certainty and confidence than they typically are, are held. So when we talk about operating rhythm, it really starts with the top deciding that they want to identify the KPIs and the conversations that are that go around those, uh, that, that happen around those KPIs at all levels. So um, I was in Kazakhstan, 20,000 people on site, um, massive capital project. Uh, this will be going on for, for four years. Um, the senior leadership was asked to identify the types of conversations they expected to, to see. And those would be things like ensuring that every day uh, on site before people actually get on the tools, the morning meeting reviews what has happened um, in any space that could affect the new team so that they can hear about uh, other contractors that are working in their areas so that they can hear um, what happened the night before, any changes to plan that might affect them. And at the same time, they're asked to look at their daily, um, their daily objectives and what they're going to do and how that will change given what they've learned about uh, the environment and how it's changing. So. Um, a standard set of KPIs is reviewed by everybody on that site every morning at the same time. Every team goes through the same process of asking what could happen, what has changed out there that could change our plans, and what risk do we face. And those rather simple questions being asked regularly and consistently at the front line and then at the middle level and at the, week plan, uh, the weekly planning session, the three-week look ahead, um, 
the consistency of that ensures that there is there are fewer surprises and that when there are problems there are more people aligned to solve those so I saw that in play it's probably the best example um, it took um, actually it was probably more of a mental hurdle for the senior leadership to recognize that um, they would actually be helping by insisting on this common language that would be and common practices carried between all the contractors um, but creating that operating rhythm which is transparent and understood by all is a critical part and will help deliver a world-class project. Yeah, and if I remember right, it was something like 75 performance boards and moving to 140 this summer, just a massive undertaking to manage all those interfaces. Exactly, and um, when the, the, um, the owner, operator, when the senior uh, people are looking and uh, trying to get a handle on what's going on out there, they can go anywhere on that site to those and what will be 140 sites and they can see the answer to the question how are we doing against plan today and what's um, going to get in the way what's ahead of us here over the next few days and they can get that answer from the frontline crews um, if we leave it to the um, uh, next level up and the level above that and to the superintendents and uh, the performance unit managers that are that are managing large large parts of the business uh, there's a huge time lag. There's a huge delay before we can actually identify the problem or come up with a solution. Whereas if we have these conversations going on consistently, going on at the front line and at the front line of supervision, we will see um, fewer issues and a quicker response. Yeah, people closest to the action to solve their own solutions. Very good. Um, Brad, anything before else you want to close with before I close off the podcast today? No, I think um, the, big, the, the big thing that we've seen, we're, we will see with um, mega projects is the commitment to engagement. And um, I think uh, one of the things I've heard today is that, uh, or I've heard recently, is that contracting is so important, which it is. And contracting for engagement and partnership up front is critically important, just as important <laughs> as recognizing that the contracts themselves can't manage your risk. And so you can't contract out risk out of your uh, program. So I think keeping that in mind and recognizing that that contract should engage, should be a, um, include engagement of all of the participants in a, a co common conversation and in um, uh, looking at uh, risk scenarios that are in the interfaces between all, all the various parties. Yeah, well said. Brad, I really appreciate your insights and uh, spending time with us today. Thanks for coming on and helping us kick off this series of podcasts and articles on the state of capital projects. I look forward to our future discussions where we can address some of these other solutions in more detail. Uh, this concludes another CI for Life podcast with Rick Hyland and Brad Farrow of RLG International. Find us on iTunes under Rick Highland or Continuous Improvement, the number four life. That is Continuous Improvement, the number four life. Uh, please uh, feel free on the podcast to share with us your learnings, your success stories, and your feedback. And as always, live a life of sustainable continuous improvement. Goodbye.